How's it going, Real Talk fam? I just wanted to jump in here real quick before we start this new episode of Real Talk University uh, with an offer that Christian and I have put together for you guys. Uh, basically, as a thank you for listening and tuning in to all of our episodes and supporting us along the way so far. So what we put together is the Podcast Blueprint ebook, which you'll have access to for free absolutely free this is a downloadable pdf containing all the information actionable steps tips resources everything you need to launch your very own successful podcast in 30 days or less exactly how christian and i have done so after reading our ebook you'll be able to launch your own podcast today book your dream guest for your interviews and get ads and sponsors immediately to claim your free copy today visit the link at bit dot lee slash rtu ebook that's b-i-t dot that's a full stop l-y slash r-t-u ebook e-b-o-o-k get your free copy today before this offer expires without any further ado we'll get right into it yeah you've got a good radio voice (laughs) <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to start out with a little game called two truths and a lie where you just give us three statements and you make one of them false. and We try to pick out the lie. Oh man, you're going to have to give me a second to try to come up with one. So two truths, one lie. Um, well, you already know a little bit about me. Do you want them to be about the business or do you want them to be about me in particular? Whatever you want, just to kind of break the ice, you know? Okay. Gosh, this would be so much easier if you guys did it, huh? Um, let's see. I have, I have eaten dinner with Waylon Jennings. Okay. I have, um, I have also eaten dinner with Ned Ledoux. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, and let's see, and I have, um, eaten dinner with, um, Stoney LaRue. So those are all country artists. How's that? Um, do you I know who any of them are? I know Waylon Jennings. <laughs> so I'm going to say that you okay. didn't have dinner with him. <laughs> so Ned Ledoux's dad is Chris Ledoux and he, um, Ned Ledoux is in Cowboys and Indians magazine this month, and he is, um, Chris Ledoux was one of the uh, largest country uh, singers ever, and he um, was also like a multiple-time NFR winner, which is the National Rodeo Final winner, so he was a cowboy and a a singer. Um, What's your guess? I was going to say the same one. I only recognized the, the first name, so I was just going to go with that. And because he died in 2002, so. So I actually did have dinner with him. Um, he was in, uh, he grew up in Littlefield, Texas. I was a Girl Scout, and I cooked for a spaghetti dinner, and I ate dinner with him before the event when I was, like, maybe nine. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, the one that I haven't eaten dinner with is Stony LaRue. He's a uh, an artist in from Texas, and um, we actually paid to have him come here and do a concert for our community for free. 
Um, and well, it wasn't for free, but I lost a lot of money. So I don't know if that counts. Um, <laughs> but I did not eat dinner with him. He's kind of a jerk. And so no dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just saw his mugshot on, online. So. Yeah, but Ned Ledoux, um, he is a super cool guy, and you probably are having a hard time spelling his last name, but um, it's N-E-D, and then it's L-E-D-O-U-X, um, but he um, actually was one of the coolest artists I've ever met. We had, like, um, we went to the taco place in, um, like, seven miles away in the middle of nowhere, and um his writer, which is what they require for the artist to perform, um, was a six pack of course original. Like everybody else has these like gigantically long ones, you know, like Stoney LaRue requires you to have like a gym open for him to work out right before he goes on stage and like a million different kinds of pizza and a certain kind of lunch meat. And like, they just have all these crazy requirements, but Ned's was a six pack of beer. And um, he and my hu- husband had a little bromance over um, the fact that they were both Raiders fans. So, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cool to hear yeah. about uh, all the your music preferences and stuff like that. Because we're from upstate New York and we're big into like modern pop and hip hop <laughs> and stuff like that. So, being exposed. Sure. Well, I am too. Just so you know, I just happen to also like country. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. awesome. So, for don't our judge audience... me, but I'm a West Coast rap fan. So. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so my customers love country music, but I actually love most music. And we design a lot for country, um, you know, and rural folks. I mean, New York has rural folks in it too, but just not quite as many as we might have in Idaho. Oh, yeah, we absolutely do. I mean, past New York City, it's all just trees and no, I'm kidding, but like there's still a lot (laughs) of countryside in New York. So Um, that's awesome. So for our audience out there that doesn't know you, could you just tell us who you are, what you're about and what you're currently up to? Sure. Um, so I'm Jesse Roberts. I'm the CEO of a company called Cheekies. Um, we actually do have a pretty good long following in um, New York. I'm also the author of a book called Back Road Boss Lady. And I started my company with about $7,000 in savings in a town in rural Idaho that um, has about 1,500 people in it. And that was in 2011. Um, I have a pretty um, diverse background, I would have to say, and diverse is, I'm trying to lightly say that it it wasn't very um, easy or um, encouraging. And we currently have, um, with Cheekies, um, we've done a little over $20 million in revenue with no conventional bank loans. We are in 3,500 retailers in the United States and Australia. Um, We employ a little over 30 people in our small town, and we've purchased um, about half of uh, the block on the side that I'm on, and we only have two city blocks. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, this last year, I was uh, one of the Idaho Women of the Year honorees, and I'm one of the youngest recipients ever to win the 40 Under 40, and we were in the Inc. 5000, and we ranked 300 and I think 46 of the fastest growing companies in the United States. Wow. So I just want to go, I just want to start from the beginning. Like, where did you get the idea to start the company? And I read that you started it to help your family out of necessity. So I just want to know your mindset going through like your motivation to make it successful. 
Well, I had always been in a very masculine business as an adult. Um, I was in the car business. And then my husband and I started a construction business. And um, you guys might be a little bit young to have remember much about it, but you might have remembered your parents or loved ones when the um, construction industry and the housing market really plummeted. Um, we lost, you know, uh, pretty much everything. Not um, because we had maxed out our home or anything like that, but we were in the construction industry and people stopped building. So um, my husband was, you know, like, I'm going to go do this one last job. Let's take this money and let's try to figure out whether we're going to go get, um, you know, basically not fast food jobs, but, you know, like, you're going to go back in the car business. I'm going to go back in the car business. He had worked in the service department and I was on the sales side. Or are we going to do something else? And there had been a cell phone company that had opened up in this one store in my downtown which my downtown is like most small town downtowns, it's empty. Um, there's like a bank, an overhead uh, door, like a garage door place, and there's two bars, and that's it. And um, this little cell phone place had gone out of business. They had a massive uh, window, and I was like, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I want to, I know I can sell, like, I just need to find things that I can sell that I like. Um, and so we had, you know, the vehicles had been taken back The, you know, we had a, a single cab pickup and four kids. And, um, so it was really, really scary. And, um, we just took that money and we put it all into that store. I mean, we had to paint the trim. We went and stole some paint out of our barn and, you know, painted the trim with that. And my colors were determined by the available paint that was in my barn, not, because I was like this marketing genius. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, a lot of people talk about their vision board and, you know, my first one was a grocery list. I, those are the things that I needed to figure out how to, how to get to. And, um, so that's what I did every day. I just figured out what do I do to, um, to pay the bills today and to buy the food tonight. And so I gardened and we raised our own meat and learned how to become friends with the butcher (laughs) so that we could, um, you know, just try to to make it. Wow. Yeah, that's, no fancy that's... story there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. So, no, no angel investor or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's not like your typical Silicon Valley startup. <laughs> um, no, and and the thing is, is there's a lot of businesses like me. You know, um, I think that most of the um, podcasts and articles and stories are written about those people who went through all these funding, you know, levels and meetings. And, um, you know, I didn't, the people who funded my business were my, my customers. When I, when I first needed a really, um, I needed an influx of money. I had a plumbing issue and I was really wanting to move to a little bit larger space across the street. And I was like, I'm going to try to go get a bank loan. The bank laughed when that I even asked for an application. So um, I actually, I haven't told anybody this, but, and it's not in the book. So that's kind of interesting, but I was like, okay, what, what would I normally pay in interest? How how would I normally, you know, like deal with the bank and and make these payments? And I thought, you know, if I could get 10% 10 interest, that would be good. Now I know that's crazy high, but 
I just thought I would be willing to give up 10% of my business just to be able to have this larger space and to make it work. So I, um, I needed like, I think like $4,000 or something like that. It wasn't much. I needed just enough. And, um, I decided to sell these things called discount cards to my customers. They cost them $40 and they gave them a discount for life. Um, I didn't really have a website then, but I had Facebook. And so it was like, you can get a discount on Facebook, on, you know, any online order per se, um, in the store. It, it doesn't matter. You can see me at a, at a show and I'll give you 10%. And so I made them these fancy little cards and, um, and I ended up raising myself like $20,000, um, from my customers just buying these cards for 40 bucks. Um, and we still sell them. We sell them on my birthday. We sell them on Black Friday and we sell them on my kids' birthdays. And that's the only day you can buy them. And then they get 10% off. If we do a sale or anything, they get to add it on. Um, and, uh, they always give this little extra boost of income. And so I just thought, you know what, I'd rather pay the interest to my customers in a discount than, um, take out the bank loan. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's crazy. Really I've never heard of like anyone doing that, but that's like pretty genius actually. <laughs> Well, it works, you know, and it, and it, um, people, what happens is, is throughout the year we advertise, you know, like, okay, these are 25% off, but 35% off if you have a discount card or buy one, get one half off if, you know, regular customers, buy one, get one 60% off if you're a, a discount card holder. And so people ask all year, like, what is a discount card? What's a discount card? And we're like, well, we only sell them on this day. And boy, on Black Friday, it's like the women who got them the year before get to use them that year. And then the, um, you know, and a lot of women are buying Black Friday stuff and a discount card because next year they want to use it. So it really helps with um, customer retention as well. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it was almost like a form of like crowdfunding, but in your very own unique way, which is really cool. Yeah, they got a piece of paper. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of, yeah. Awesome. Um, it's bitten me in the butt, you know, like trying, it's definitely difficult on e-commerce to create, um, you know, every customer has to be tagged and. Um, you know, so that their discount card only works with them. And when you're not a massive company with huge tech, you know, folks working in your office, it can get a little tricky. Um, and we've definitely had to not use certain softwares and apps um, because it doesn't work well with our discount cards. But you know what? They really supported me when I needed them. So um, I feel like it's just kind of paying my dues. Definitely. And, and when you were just describing your startup and the story behind it, you said you were like a marketing genius, which is awesome. So like, where did you learn those techniques? Was it more through just like the action of starting well, a startup? Or? I said the, co the color wasn't because I was a marketing genius, but um, I do feel like marketing is my strength. And I went and taught a college class the other day. So I love that this is um, to that same type of audience. But um, oftentimes when people ask me for help or want to know how I, you know, learn something, um, I ask, you know, what was the last book that you read? What was the last podcast you listened to? What, when was the last time you educated yourself? And, you know, every platform out there, every marketing platform, Facebook, Twitter, doesn't matter. They want you to advertise on their platform. So they have massive you know, sections of their organization that all they do is do tutorials, whether it's online, whether it's video, 
um, you know, instead of watching cat videos on YouTube, um, you know, get out something that could actually teach you something. Watch something that you could learn from. So that's probably the biggest thing is I am constantly teaching myself and um, uh, not going out and buying expensive, crazy classes, but like picking up books. I actually read a lot of books that are from like the discount section, um, not just because I want to learn what not to do when I write a book, but because I want to, you know, like there's really great knowledge in there. Um, they just weren't able to market well. So that's the reason their book didn't sell. It doesn't mean it was a bad book. Um, and I can save money on it. So I would say the second thing is, is I intently research and um, listen to my customer. So right now, one of, my, uh, one of the things that I am doing is I am opening up brick and mortars. Now, I, everyone in my industry thinks that that's the craziest thing that they've ever heard. Um, you know, because all the brick and mortars are closing. Um, everybody is pushing and pushing to get um, a bigger online presence. So I looked at, I look at stores, both online and brick and mortars as um, a brick and mortar. I look at my online store as an actual location. I have to make that location as attractive as possible and I have to advertise that location just like I would a regular store. The problem is, is that the rent online is really, really expensive right now, right? Um, it costs a tremendous amount of money to have a voice and to be able to speak online. And I've already created a following that I reach about 2 million people a week on. So just on Facebook alone, that's our reach. And so I work really hard to maintain that reach and just grow it a tiny bit. Um, but rent right now on brick and mortar is extremely inexpensive, correct? My customer is not the kind of customer that wants to go into a store that has fancy interfaces and computers. My customer is the customer that votes and elects new presidents. Okay, I have a rural customer. My customer does not need to be the trendiest customer in the whole wide world. They want something that their spouse says that they look good in. They want something that made them, you know, makes them feel like they did 15 years ago um, when they met their spouse. And they're willing to wear some of the same things that somebody told them they look good in that might be from 5, 10, or 15 years ago. That allows me to purchase at much better rates than anyone else because I'm not competing with the most trendy people in the, you know, in my audience. I'm not competing with um, you know, Cabela's or Wrangler or, you know, companies that are trying to um, push my customer out of their current um, comfort zone. My customer cannot afford to purchase a dress online and have it show up and not fit for the wedding that they have to go to that weekend. So um, there's a company out there called Maurice's. Um, they have about a thousand locations. Um, they specifically started their company to um, work inside uh, or to be located inside of rural areas. Um, they have really gotten away from their rural customer. Um, all the Payless shoe stores are vacant right now. The majority of them are in lower income areas. So if I find a Maurice's and I find a Payless shoe store in the same area, then I know that Maurice's has done the majority of the research on that being a rural area. 
and I know that there is a customer that needs to purchase affordably. And it just so happens that the Payless shoe stores are the perfect size for my company. Wow, so, um, thank you. <laughs> I want to make a connection with my customer and I want to do what the other companies are not doing, shutting them down. So I would tell you to spend a tremendous amount of time researching your customer. I will follow the customers that are my top fans on Facebook and I will literally go through all the pictures of them and their kids, not in a creepy way, but in a way where I look and see what brands are they wearing? When they dress up, can I recognize the brand that they're wearing? Are they wearing camo hats? Are they wearing red, white, and blue? Am I, you know, like, what am I not providing them that they're readily purchasing every single day? Yeah, I think that's a huge asset and like a great quality of a CEO of a company is like actually caring about your customer because like the ROI of that is just huge. And I like how you mentioned self-education because it's like something we talk a lot about on this podcast. And it's kind of the whole reason we actually provide this for our, you know, classmates and people in college, just so that they could tap into people's stories like yours and take something away from them. So what has been like your go-to form of self-education, whether it be your favorite book or someone you follow on YouTube or podcast you listen to? Well, um, I know it's not very glamorous, but I do really love, um, I love my customer. So I would say that gives me the strongest, you know, response is listening to my customer stories. Um, I know that sounds weird. Um, I also sign up for a million different emails. Um, I love Inc. Magazine. Um, I, uh, early in my um, career as a brand, personally, I called out the social media manager for Inc. Magazine on them having too many articles about um, the Silicon Valley or coast uh, metropolitan areas. And I told him, I said, you know, there's a ton of mom and pops. I really wish that you would feature them. Lo and behold, they, they do have a, a fabulous um, section uh, called Main Street where they feature small businesses. And that's really where my love affair and my relationship came from Inc. Magazine. They have worked diligently um, since then to actually include mom and pops and small retailers and boutiques um, in their articles and in their journalism. And I find that really impressive that um, they too were able to listen to their readers and their customers and make it make changes. Um, one of the biggest compliments I ever got was um, one of their VPs, uh, John Fine, read my book and um, and re reached out to me to say, hey, I needed to see like, what was this about? And um, so I would just encourage them to just take in everything. And if, if you're taking it in and it doesn't work, then stop and go to something else, you know, like, Everybody loves, there's a, an, there's a couple of really big female authors out there right now that everyone loves. Um, and both of them, I read their, I started their books and was like, I just, I cannot relate. Like, I do not like this. So I put it down and I went and got something I could relate to. And I read, you know, Gary Vee's book, uh, Crushing It, you know, probably nine times. I read Fran Hauser's book, The Myth of the Nice Girl. Um, and more times than I can count. Um, I would encourage people to not to have book sales, but because I think you can learn something, get my book, um, read it, listen to the audible. I think, um, you know, you can get the hardback or you can get the audible. 
Um, and listen and listen past the beginning. Um, and so that would, that would probably be my go-to is, is actually read books. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like today it's just so accessible and affordable to become just insanely educated on whatever topic you really want to, but on the topic, you really of, can. on the topic of education, I, agree. I was just wondering, did you have any college experience? Do you have a degree because we focused a lot on college and how to become successful outside of it. So I was just wondering. So I am an, a huge advocate for higher education. Um, but uh, when you read my book, you will learn. Um, I dropped out of high school about two months before I graduated. I um, had to try to figure out how to make ends meet. I have never graduated high school. I do not have a high school or college diploma. Although I have taught multiple classes, both in high school and college, I've guest lectured. And um, I do think that I am the needle in the haystack. I don't think that that's something that everybody can do. Um, there are certainly things that I missed out on that I'll never get to have because I did not go through either of those experiences. Um, but I, um, you know, a lot of times when I hire employees, I ask them, you know, if I could teach you what you could learn in college and you wouldn't have student loans, would you take that chance? And um, some say yes and some say no, you know, but I would encourage um, college students to not put their nose up at a free internship, you know, not put your nose up at um, something that you typically would not do. You're young, embrace that, that opportunity. I, I tell everybody that's in college, go do an internship at a car dealership. Go find a really crappy, small car dealership and work there for three to six months. Learn how to sell or a cell phone store or a furniture store and um, do an internship unpaid for a small business. Ask, what can I do to get in here and to learn how, what really happens? How are you really doing business? So um, I would just say that while you have this opportunity to learn, um, don't mess it up by not learning because there's a lot of people out there that wish that they could do that. Um, and don't waste time asking questions that you can Google. Ask questions that you can't Google. You can't Google the questions that you guys just asked me. Um, so take the opportunity to ask the right questions when you have them. And the rest of the time, don't waste people's time asking them things that you can teach yourself. Definitely. That's great advice. And I totally agree with the fact, like, if you're in college, you should go out and, you know, sacrifice working for free and take big risks and try other things because, like, you just have a lot of time out in front of you so now you do. and it, you've got time to do it now instead of when you're you know 35 and trying to start a business with four kids you know so um take those risks while you can afford to lose um that's that's what i would say <laughs> <laughs> definitely so how are you able to balance your family life while also trying to like make your startup a success in the early years um, I did a really cool article for, um, I think it was like Huffington Post or something like that, um, that was on work-life balance. And um, it's one of my favorite articles that I've done, so I should probably look that up so I could actually give credit to it. Um, but 
it made me sit down and think. Um, it was one of those articles where you actually get to like write the question answers and send them back in. Um, they don't just do it verbally. And uh, so my license plates on my car say bad mom. All right. And um, that is a little bit funny, but it's also the fact that like I had to learn as a mom um, and as a wife, like what was too much work and what was actually teaching my children. So my kids come to work with me. My kids learn what it's like to employ people, um, how they treat people, how, um, you know, understanding the respect that these people are what are paying our bills and taking care of us. Um, my children, if they ever wanted to have um, a wooden spoon, which I don't use, but I didn't want to cuss on your podcast, um, but it would be to be disrespectful to one of our employees. Um, it's important for them to understand um, so many things, and I can do that through my work, whether it's volunteering for the um, rescue mission, um, whether it's um, celebrating an employee's um, achievements or work. And then our employees actually celebrating when my children have theirs. Um, we truly are a family-run business. So, you know, Cheekies is my life and my life is Cheekies. But um, I, do, uh, I do put a lot into both, if that makes sense. Um, it, it does mean that I might not have had a garden until this year um, since I started the company. But, um, you know, my kids have gotten the opportunity to go my daughter, my youngest, has been to almost every major market in the United States. Um, my children have been inside of more than one World Trade Center. Um, and they have um, also seen me stand on stage and be vulnerable and uh, participate in speaking engagements. You know, so um, I think it's just figuring out what I really want to teach my children in the long run. Definitely, yeah, that's really cool. Yep. And I think it's definitely huge to give them that hands-on experience so they know what they need to do when they get older if they want to go into what you're doing with the startup. So I just want to switch gears here and go into the book aspect sure. of your story. So what goes into writing a successful book? <laughs> um, so books are definitely not what I thought they were. Um, I thought that there was a woman in an office wearing expensive clothes that was given a, you know, a manila envelope with my book in it and she would read it and see if she thought it was great. And if so, then um, it would become a bestseller. It is a very long process. Um, typically the contracts are signed before a book's even written. But I feel like the biggest thing is um, I was offered a ghostwriter out of, straight out of the gate. Um, one who has written multiple, multiple bestsellers and sold millions of books. And um, I felt like that was definitely not being my most authentic self by using a ghostwriter. There's nothing against people who do, but my book is, uh, has a huge part of it is about being authentic and about being yourself. So there was no way I could write this book and not put Brett on the, on the cover. Um, I needed my audience to know that I could not do this by myself. I had a great agent, I have a great publisher, I have a great um, co-writer, I had great editors. Um, so those things are what it takes to write a great book. That's why I said, or a successful book, I'm not to write a great book. 
I feel like there are tons and tons of great books that never see daylight because um, they don't have all the marketing behind them. They don't have all the people behind them. And even my book is not a, um, it's certainly no Rachel Hollis book. You know, it, it's not number one on the New York Times bestseller. It has hit many, many different bestseller lists and, um, and has done well, but I'm not famous. And I'm not famous, you know, like Barack Obama, right? I'm not famous like the people that are writing these books that instantly come out and are bestsellers. And so I always encourage people to, um, to look at the books that are around the ones that are facing out. Um, because sometimes you will find these really, really fabulous um, finds that just didn't have a great marketing team um, or didn't have um, the fame behind them, but yet they're really, really great books. One of my favorite books is a book called, um, I think Elizabeth I, the CEO. Um, and it's a book about how Queen Elizabeth I, um, who ruled during the golden age, the longest reigning queen ever, um, ran her country like, the C like she was a CEO of a company. And um, it's all these different lessons on how to run a business nowadays based off of what she did um, in her time. And, um, and I think it was a discount book, you know, that I bought, but it was so powerful and it's so good. Um, so yeah, I think um, to write a successful book, you have to actually be involved and you have to have a great marketing team and to write a great book, you have to be involved, um, but maybe not get to have such a great team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you're definitely right about that. I mean, there's like thousands and thousands of books that are published and released every day. So you got to definitely have a good marketing team to help you get noticed for your work for sure. So yeah, that I was didn't write this book to uh, become a millionaire. The money that I made off of this book, um, just the, the beginning portion before the sales um, is less than I make in one month at my company. So, and it took me almost two years to get the thing out, right? Um, definitely over a year, so about a year and a half. And so I wrote this book because I wanted other people to know that they were not the only ones going through this. And um, even if, it, my book is a, a book about a business, but just like that work-life balance that we were talking about, it's a book about me and why I run my business the way that I, I do. Um, this book is so much more than a business book. Um, it's actually an inspirational memoir, and it kind of rode the fence between the two, whether it was business or an inspirational memoir. Um, but this book will make you laugh and cry. And I love um, when men read this book. I love hearing what they think because the book was written for women, but men seem to get so much more out of the book when they read it. Um, and so... At first, I really was scared of having this asterisk of, gosh, Jesse's really successful for someone who has gone through um, an abusive childhood or who grew up with no education. But I wanted people to say, Jesse is really great because Jesse's really great, not because of all those things. And I really hated that cliche of Jesse can do it than anyone can. But there was nothing I could do about that. And I started to have to learn how to embrace that. That if I can start a business in a town of 1,400 people with $7,000, that's 
then you can too. Like if I can get to where I'm at with no education, then think about what you're going to be able to do. I mean, think about all the, the things more that you are going to be able to do than I've ever done because you didn't have to go through those things and you have advantages. Like I, I want you to have those. I just want you to acknowledge them and use them. Yeah, exactly. So on the marketing side, I would agree that your team is effective because we got recommended to you by our friend, Jim Dutcher. He said that you wrote a tremendous book and he wanted, he wanted you to come on our podcast. So it was definitely a great recommendation by him. And then I would just say like the graph. Now you need to read the book. Yep. (laughs) Send us some copies. We'll read it. Okay. But, um, well, I can't sell the book if you don't buy the book. That's a great point. And you don't get to read books by regular people if you don't buy books by regular people. So if you don't stop buying the books that you're told to buy and start looking for yourself and buying books that are great books, then those people are never going to get anywhere. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Sorry about the voice crack. But no, I was just you don't have to be that. sorry. It's, I want everybody to know that. Like you're, you're doing me a favor by allowing me to say that. So don't be sorry. Yeah. And then I was just going to say like the gratification of reaching and inspiring people by the masses, I think would outweigh the benefits of getting a paycheck in the mail. So that's the whole inspiration for me as to why I wrote a book. Right. Right before I um, called you guys for this podcast, I actually, my mail was on my desk and there was a card um, from a women's book club in um, surprisingly in Boise. And they had heard of me on NPR um, during an interview that I did on Marketplace. And it literally is like 10 different letters from the women about how the book affected them. And every time I, I even start to think, gosh, you know, you're, you're still being beaten by, you know, this famous person or that famous person on Amazon. I really think, I don't know that I am. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm doing exactly what I should be with the book. And that's being able to mentor and lead and guide people and help people um, without even getting to talk to them. Exactly. So we're just trying to check out your article in NPR here. Um, but I just want to get into the last question. So what does success mean to you? Like if you could just summarize it in a sentence or two, what would you put the term success as? So this same question was asked um, by me a, a few months back and um, it was by Forbes. And um I just went and spoke at an event um, called Story Story Night, where I answered this question um, in an extremely vulnerable way. But in my industry, there is a tremendous amount of dishonesty. Um, There is no report that tells people how many of an item you sold. There's no dress report, right? Unlike many, many other industries. And it's a very, very secretive industry where you're buying from, who you're, you know, where are you getting things from? How are you acquiring your customers? How many sales are you doing? All of those things are hidden all the time. Um, and unless they're on somebody's Instagram story and they have multiple zeros added to them. And I finally learned that I was successful. And what success means to me is the fact that I no longer have to keep secrets. You can ask me, of the questions out there. And I can answer you confidently and know that I don't have to hide the answer from you because 
you cannot catch up to me. You cannot create the relationships that I have with my factories, with my customers, with my employees, um, with all of those things. Now, you might be able to down the road, but I will have already have changed. I'll have already moved. And you'll never know people the way that I do. You'll know your own people and you'll have your own relationships. And they may be better and stronger in their ways. But I learned that I was finally successful and what success was when I stopped keeping secrets. Well, that's huge. I yeah, feel like, yeah, honesty and transparency is going to lead to success. And I respect and commend you for being honest and transparent in a market, like you said, that is definitely sneaky and out to get you. So, yeah, yeah. I'm still sneaky and out to get you. I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm going to make you something that you can't walk away from. Like, I'm going to make you the top or the purse that you just, you have to have. But, you know, um, I, I really enjoyed this podcast. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. Like, it was a great story. And appreciate you being very real and open and honest about everything. It's super inspiring stuff. Um, if anybody listening or you guys um, get my book, um, Backroads Boss Lady, I want you to reach out to me. Um, I'm easy to find. And uh, I want you to tell me what the book did for you or what it meant to you. It's really important that um, that I know that I'm serving um, people with the book. Definitely. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so that they could, if they're interested in purchasing the book, they could go right to Amazon and awesome. buy it. And definitely if they do buy it, obviously leave a review that helps um, just so that you can reach more. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And you can get it at um, all the Barnes and Nobles have it. So they can drop in and grab it at Barnes and Nobles. Um, you can get it online, all the little indie um, bookstores. You can get those online, um, Kindle, Audible, all of them. Perfect. Well, that yeah. about wraps it up. So thank you for your time. We really appreciate awesome. it. We'll let you know when everything's okay, done. Thank you guys. Do audio clips, all that stuff and take care. Okay. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you. Hey guys, show some love for the Real Talk University podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app. See you all next week.